0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Ten Thousand Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. Uh, my name is Hussein. Uh, follow me at H if you want to hear some of my thoughts.
1: My name is Phoebe. You can follow me on Twitter at PRH Roy and in other places which I will tell you about at the end of the at the end of the show.
0: Yeah. And also there'll be links there. So follow those links. If you want to hear more from either of us, I guess, um, just as a top of the thing, uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. And also thank you so much for listening to this show. Uh, if you are not a bonus subscriber, you can find lots of good bonus content, patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast, five bucks a month. It really helps us run the show. And also it helps us to do it without ads. And that's really important to us. Uh, this week we have a really good guest on uh, and we're going to like get straight into sort of what they do because it's like incredibly fascinating uh, and very much like part of this sort of series that we are doing about the comment section and moderators and sort of like how those both of those things have sort of changed with the evolution of the internet. We are joined by Ben Whitelaw. Uh, he writes the very good podcast, Everything in Moderation. That link is also in the show notes. Do subscribe to that if you don't already. Uh, ben, how's it going?
2: Very good. Thanks for having me, guys. Nice to, nice to be here.
0: Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, your newsletter like your pop, pops up a lot in like my recommended feeds, um, and I think like the stuff that you're sort of doing in terms of writing about what moderation looks like now, and I think especially at a time when we're talking a lot not only about like content moderation and what sort of like a more a safer internet will look like, but also just like the real realities of moderation and like outsourcing and the idea of moderation as labour. Um, these things that are like relatively new in sort of mainstream lexicon. You've been covering that for a while and also been working in that space for a while. Um, for people who don't know about your newsletter and also just the work that you've been doing, can you tell us about what sort of like made you interested in moderation and how you got into like just thinking about it and even working in that space?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I agree with you on all of the above. Um, it's a fascinating topic that I think pulls together lots of interesting threads, um, you know, politics, information, power, even to an extent. And um, yeah, I I came to it really from working as a journalist in uh, newsrooms uh, in the UK. And my role has always been kind of audience focused. Um, So I've been thinking about how to include audiences in the practice of journalism. And that often meant being involved in content moderation and comment threads below the line. Um, I worked at The Times for eight years. And in that time, I kind of built up a team of social media producers video uh, producers but also comment moderators as well and they were in house folks who i sat next to and worked with and uh, who we kind of created policy with in order to create an environment that was an interesting uh you know enjoyable place for readers of the times to to be and we had this vision for it which was to to kind of have it as a, as a place that you could stimulate debate and discussion and, and come face to face with journalists and other interesting folks. And um, I, I probably will come on to whether that was a success or not. Um, but yeah, it just made me really fascinated in the idea of, of, you know, who's allowed to post online and why, and who decides what the rules are for that. Um, so when I left The Times in 2018, I started up the newsletter, Everything in Moderation, uh, really is a learning exercise for myself to deepen my understanding of, of how this works. And I've been following a lot of really interesting folks and trying to summarize in my Friday newsletter what's going on in the space. Um, mm. That's evolved over time, but it's is focusing a lot on policies, both the platforms and at government level, uh, as well as products and technology that is being used increasingly to help what has traditionally been a very human practice Mm -hmm. um done by people kind of in the shadows. so hopefully yeah bringing to life like you say some of those really interesting parts of what's a yeah a very unknown area
0: yeah um phoebe do you want to say anything before i go into question no okay your video is a little bit lagging that's why i was unsure oh okay
1: Um no no no, no. Okay. I'm I'm uh, I'm just I'm I'm just listening. I'm sitting cross-legged on the carpet it's story time.
0: <laughs> okay. Um okay so I guess like before we sort of get into sort of discussions about what moderation kind of looks like now I'd be really interested in like your understanding of like the sort of, I guess the history of moderation. I was looking online I was like reading some stuff when I was uh, trying to do the notes for this episode and what was really interesting was that there are sort of like competing narratives of like the history of moderation and who the first moderators were and so on. And like whether this is kind of like linked to message boards or whether it's sort of linked to kind of like much earlier and sort of like compute, like the history of computation. Um, but I think that when you, what you were talking about in terms of how moderation has kind of broadly been conceived as like a tradition, like kind of a human practice and one that is also sort of, I think it has the image of being community, organized and driven whether that's true or not i'd like to hear your opinions on that too but i guess if anyone if if i or you know someone uh, was to ask you like how where do you sort of like see what what are the sort of beginnings of the history of like moderation as we understand it where would you kind of locate it and could you sort of tell us like maybe in like a parted way how we kind of get from a type of moderation system that i guess we associate with message boards and forums to these types of like much broader systems of moderation where like every tech company now has like a moderation council and that these kind of moderation councils also have a much greater remit maybe than like what we would what like older people would conventionally associate a moderator with
2: yeah i mean so i guess the the kind of timeline as to the kind of moderation, the his, the potted history of moderation. Um, I mean, there are probably smart people out there who who've done the research. But I really, from my understanding of it, you know, moderation. Not that long ago, we're talking maybe you know maybe ten, maybe fifteen years ago, was somebody who was a kind of convener of people who was who was a kind of uh, who 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 owned and or hosted a space online that and invited other people to it in a in a meaningful way. You know if you ask people nowadays who follow the news or follow any of the stories that we 're familiar with um if you're you know if you 're following like anything about kind of content moderation, people will think moderation is a censor they 'll think moderation is about preventing people from saying things that they have the right or you know the the they they have the ability to say, and moderators are kind of preventative they are they are gatekeepers and often you know, that is believed to be a bad thing. Um, and so that's that's a massive, massive leap in, in a very short space of time from somebody who, um, you know, was essentially a kind of concierge, you know, somebody who was, like, inviting somebody into a space, uh, allowing them to participate, fostering discussion or debate in, in a way that actually was beneficial for the group. Now moderators mm-hmm. are cleaners. Um, and, you know, that 2018 documentary, um, The Cleaners, you know, very much, like, played on this idea that people who moderate are, are clear, clear up for other people you know they are mm-hmm. they are janitors for the internet, and they wear kind of haz, hazmat suits and they go into spaces of the internet that other people you know don't don't want to go into and, and will not tread and so that is a really interesting I think jump for me in, in such a short space of time and, and in many senses, the, role, the kind of definition of moderator has become a bit meaningless. you know there's so many different types mm-hmm. of, of moderator which we can kind of get into a bit more I hope um, that actually To say that somebody's a moderator um, means nothing nowadays. Uh, And that's an issue. I think that's we we need to kind of think more about what we what we mean when we say that and the context in which that is applied, if if we are to kind of develop smarter, I think, you know, better ideas and understanding about what speech on the web looks like. Um, and then just as a by way of an example, I think the I really like the idea um, the story of the woman stacy horn who i don't know if if you'd have you've heard of or who you if your listeners have heard of her she's there's an amazing profile of her that was written in 2018 which i often go back to when i'm feeling a bit a bit low about the internet and, the, and you know she's a, a woman who created a, a bulletin board system basically that was called uh, the east coast hangout and she invited people um onto that onto that bulletin board system and she sent them letters to give them access. It was a very kind of formalized process. Uh, she it, it ended up having half uh, of the bulletin board members be women, which is obviously remarkable in this day and age. And mm-hmm. and she was she honestly took this relationship so seriously. Um, this idea of her being a host of this community was such a big thing to her. Um, and she ran community classes and, and taught taught the the members of the board things that, that you know that that basically allow them to participate in the community and 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 that thing that idea of taking responsibility and ownership has just completely been lost you know that's so detached from the idea of moderation now that Mm. i wonder if we'll ever regain it
1: Mm. that's interesting because um what i would wondered one of the things i wanted to ask you is whether there is a a broad public perception of just there being a a huge distinction between uh between spaces on the internet which are run as kind of abstracted communities so they're based around they're based around an interest or um or a politics or 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 something of the sort and the idea has always been of forums and message boards that they are closed spaces for a self-selecting group of people to um, to form these digital communities, and the idea has always been that, as far as the moderator goes, it's often the the host of the of the server. It's it's their house, so you gotta so you gotta play by play by their rules. And sometimes you might think that that's unfair. Sometimes you might think that you're being that you're being censored. But it is still just a question of uh, interplay between individuals within within a community. So there is sort of one person who has or A small group of people who ha- who has this kind of ersatz power over the rest of the users, but they're still they're still individuals, and they're still and they're still individuals with a with a with a sort with a source of parity to them, and it feels like that 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 changes with the introduction of the comment section on news websites and uh, and in the and in the mainstream media. Because this, for the first time, allowed people to form similar abstracted communities around interacting with people who have more institutional and social power than them, and that creates um, and that creates a, an imbalance um, of the way that people in these moderated communities see each other. And it also creates an an, imba- a, an imbalance, which I think is I think is a largely fictitious one. Actually, that there is this imbalance of power between uh, between somebody who moderates, say, below the line on below the line for the Times, um, and very very much so, people who are moderating for Facebook and similar, because this is outsourced. To an extractive and exploitative globalized supply chain mainly in the mainly in the global south, so the idea that these that these poor people who are having to look at this grim stuff day in day out have any power over the commenters is it's faintly ridiculous, and it's a very kind of global north centric way of looking at things. But I wonder if that's where the break occurred. Or whether you think it's more a case of many more people having access to the sorts of digital spaces which used to be very closed shops.
2: Mm. I mean, I think, I think if 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 I get your question right, like the, there's a couple of distinctions there. There's there's the distinction between, between commercial and non-commercial community mm. for one, right? Which is yeah. which is obviously very very kind of a, re- a very recent development in many senses um so as soon as a community space becomes kind of commercially orientated and you know moves from the realm of kind of hobbyist or topic focused in the kind of old-fashioned sense that the internet communities evolved um and that, you know becomes something that is then tried to be monetized in some way whether that is by a platform or by a a brand or a company, then I think that's where we start to see a shift in um, kind of who has power and who, um, you know, what the focus of that community is, you know, Mm. basically, you know, a platform is trying to drive certain behaviors that are beneficial for, for their bottom line. So that might be have people return every day to leave comments or to invite other people into the group to increase the opportunity for ad revenue. Essentially, um, that's that's kind of obviously what platforms are doing. And, and from a Times point of view, you know, we were trying to get people to comment more regularly so that they would continue subscribing. And that is mm-hmm. the case increasingly for news organisations who who obviously are trying to who are trying to kind of make money from from, from reader revenue. Um, and then there's also so that's one of the distinctions I'd say that we kind of well, one of the axes that we we need to kind of look at. The other one is. I think, in terms of the the tools or the software, the technology that is kind of underpinning um, that interaction, and in, in in many senses, you know, what makes great communities great is the way that uh, you know the software allows you to have the conversations um, in the way that you want, and that is is almost as human as as speaking to somebody in real life. So you know, you think about you think about Discord, and you think about discourse, and you think about good community comment platforms and how they facilitate that. It's a world away from the kinds of comment sections that newspaper organizations have, where Mm -hmm. if you, if you think about it, you know, as a user, you are simply responding to what these kind of faceless journalists in a newsroom want you to, to kind of engage on. There isn't, there is no way for you to start a conversation or a discussion in any way, other way than that is responsive you can only react and obviously you know you're doing so in a way that is uh, basically minimized below it structurally within the web page below this article that somebody has created and which you've been kind of forced in in many ways to to read and respond to so you know the, the the structure of comment sections the way that has been applied has it's no surprise that people react in the way that they do and why people you know often are angry or, or um, you know difficult but below the line because I think th- th- you know they, they, they realize that they, their opinions don't really matter newsrooms don't really mm. care um, and I think if, if you know if news organizations to give to use them as an example did care then they would think much more deeply about how to allow mm. users to start conversations um, yeah. rather than just react to them
1: yeah absolutely mm. yeah I mean this is the thing i don't like I don't mean for one minute to um romanticize the days of forums and message boards because I know that there was a lot of um unhinged behavior um that was pretty much kind of thought to be sort of part and parcel of it i just I just wonder whether it's sort of this is all this sort of shift is at least in part due to a due to a kind a change in A change in digital literacy and a change in digital competence but with so much of the of the infrastructure hidden from um from ordinary people who expect who are expected to use the internet pretty much every every day and for every aspect of their of their lives for their for their work for their social lives for their um for their romantic lives uh to keep up with to keep up with family members and and so on and and so forth but i definitely remember um there being there being this idea of like the forum guy as being somebody who knew basic code for 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 a kickoff um and they were definitely a very very particular kind of person and now and this is partly i think I believe I'm happy to be corrected on this. I believe that this is partly because large tech companies uh, deliberately keep their file structure and their data architecture quite obscure. Um, I just, this is a this is definitely something which people, which friends of mine who are teachers have said that they that their students, their teenage students, who have the most extraordinary digital tools at their fingertips, but they can't find a file on a computer because they don't know where it is (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: they're so used to a, a plugged in digital life where the stuff just does it and they don't have to think about what is kind of what is underpinning that and it does seem to be the case that any kind of scale and any kind of comparative ease does undermine any sense of any sense of community that might have once existed because uh, because there was i suppose more of a more of a stake in it if you knew if you knew how the forum was operating in a very kind of very basic sense then you feel mm. like you have some kind of stake in it maybe that's overstating it. i don't know i just think it's i just think it's interesting that teenagers are so digitally sort of digitally plugged in but they are also apparently more or less digitally illiterate as well which i think is fascinating
2: yeah i mean i mean that they, they you know like, like you say a lot of younger internet users have been basically programmed to consume <laughs> like only right, yep. they just they've been mm. pre- programmed to just watch, um, and if you can muster a, a tap, then then great. You know, we, we we think about the kind of design choices on some of the apps that we all use. You know, you have these these kind of fields, these comment boxes, um, which are tiny, <laughs> and they're minimized <laughs> until the point where you tap in them, and so it's basically saying kind of like, don't bother. We We're actually not mm-hmm. interested in what you think and and you don't need to make any effort, so if you actually mistype or you know you, you just leave three words, that's fine um because it's only gonna be used as a kind of ranking signal for surfacing this video to a bunch of other people that look like you so so I think you're right I think there's i think I think you know if you expect little of people, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get a lot back and that's what I think I learned mm-hmm. um in, in eight years. You know, trying to elicit interesting mm. responses from readers on on news topics. You know, know. in in a news context. Mm.
0: Yeah. I want to like talk very briefly about something that you actually put um, <clears throat> when like in uh, in our notes uh, when you when you were sort of going over it, which is and it kind of goes back to the idea of like what the moderator, well, how we sort of like view the moderator now. And one of the things that you've covered in your newsletter and also like in your tweets and everything has also been like the way in which moderation is done. So like, I guess like in this case, one of the kind of like trends or one of the things that we've talked about uh, in passing, like for various other contexts is the outsourcing of moderation and then there's this broader idea that like moderation doesn't no longer requires you to sort of like have to engage with like an online community or even recognize that like an online like what an online community might be or like try to define it but it's very it's, it feels like a lot more procedural and in some cases i think you've put it you put it in the way of sort of saying that moderators are more like janitors now and they're kind of like reviewing the sort of like policing content um, getting rid of all the stuff that Eva is kind of like extremely just you know can't exist on any platform uh, but they're not really kind of like looking at it from a communal perspective it's really it feels much more procedural and then as that becomes more abstracted like the moderators who really have to deal with like the, let's say like the really really awful shit that's outsourced and then and I, and I guess um, we, we've kind of read a few of the stories about that including the recent one about um more like mod like a lot of moderation a i moderation being moved to i think kenya um but I wondered whether you could talk to us more about like the outsourcing of moderation uh how recent of a phenomenon is that and what does that sort of suggest about how tech companies um, and tech platforms and I I guess possibly even like news organizations who I imagine it's much more of the former, um, how, like, what do they actually view the purpose of moderation as being? And is the reason why like we've kind of got to where we are right now is just, is that mostly to do with just like the way in which they have dominated the way that communicative process runs on the internet so much so that like, there is no other way to actually manage that many kind of conversations or posts, I guess, uh, through like more kind of human and all or through, or through like more kind of communal approaches.
2: Yeah. Um, I guess like, yeah, just to give a bit of context, I guess, yeah. All, all, all platforms, large social media platforms use outsourced content moderation. As far as I know, not, not one uses content moderators that are on staff um, solely. They they have a mix of on staff folks who um, can range everything from kind of people looking at a queue um, who are kind of reviewing posts, sometimes that are already reviewed by AI or reviewed by like a, a previous kind of round of moderators um, and then, you know, giving them a second look. Or they are kind of more... Um, managing the process so checking that the right decision was made so doing spot checks to clarify that uh you know a decision was uh, was made in the right way that it was it was a process was followed so just to give a bit, bit of context there there's there's a whole kind of i guess range of people that um the general public might see as moderators but who actually come under this kind of guise of trust and safety or, you know, integrity workers, as they're often being called, who basically are trying to ensure that the bad stuff doesn't appear uh, and the good stuff um, is, is, you know, shared and read more widely. So that's a bit of context. You know, different platforms use different outsourced companies, different BPOs. Um, There are a lot of big BPOs, you know, the likes of Accenture, the likes of Teleperformance. Um, You know, they are big multi-million pound companies who who increasingly uh, have gone into the content automation market, having done customer service or call center work and realized that a lot of the skills are the same. You know, where, where their kind of process-driven approach for those areas has worked, it could also work for content moderation. And they're very skilled at, you know, that kind of auditing the process, making sure that targets are hit, uh, ensuring the content moderators hit a certain number of videos per hour which is often how they're measured. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of quite harrowing stories, you know, published by Casey Newton in, in The Verge a few years ago, but increasingly so um, elsewhere of people having to kind of sit at their desks, not being allowed toilet breaks, having to plow through content um, because these BPOs have very, very rigorous targets that they have to hit. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and to your point about why, why this has come about essentially because yeah, because no one else would do it Um, Mm -hmm. because the scale is so large that it's impossible to, to cater for the exponential rise that we've seen in people um, you know, contributing online to, to user generated content, you know, in an ideal world um, if we'd had our time again, probably we'd have thought a bit more about how we uh, get people who are part of online communities to step into the void of, Kind of moderating in the way that, uh, in the way that, like Stacey Horn did with her bulletin board. You know, people who take responsibility for the community, who are skilled up, um, who are uh, who care enough that they um, use their own time and uh, energy, basically, to create a a space that uh, works for them and the people that are in the community. We're in a situation where that never happened because the tech companies came forward and said, "Okay, we're you know, this is about this is about us and it's about our." Uh, our platforms and, and revenue, and actually, we kind of miss that whole opportunity, which I think is is a shame. And so, you now have a situation where, like you say, outsourced companies are now going to places like Kenya, and they're in places mm-hmm. like the Philippines and in India, where um, you know labor is cheap um, and people are essentially very detached from the kind of platforms that they work for um, mm-hmm. and aren't don't have a lot of rights as far as that work goes. And so the recent example of Daniel Moteng in Kenya uh, is, is, a, is a, a kind of fascinating but also dreadful example where uh, he tried to advocate for better rights for his workers um, at a company called Sama, which is supposedly an mm-hmm. ethical outsource company, and uh, was basically an, trying to create a union. <laughs> I know. What a phrase, <laughs> an joking. ethical
1: outsource company.
2: <laughs> I know. Um, I don't know who had the, got the gall to come up with that.
1: Yeah, but, it's, um, it's incredible. It's incredible stuff.
2: <laughs> probably some well-paid PR company. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he, he was basically had his union busted um, before he'd even had a chance to, to kind of advocate <laughs> for uh, a couple more dollars an hour. So mm. ethical, uh, it certainly isn't. But And this is a huge, huge issue. Um, I, I personally think teleperformance have recently said that they're going to drop out of the content moderation market and I foresee others doing the same because there is so much risk inherent in this, mm. uh, both political and reputational. Yeah, sorry, Phoebe.
1: No, 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 go ahead. Sorry, I, I, um, I dropped out slightly there so I didn't hear, I didn't hear you start to speak. No, 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 please, please go ahead.
2: I was only going to say, I don't know who fills the gap. Um, mm. if, if you don't have companies like Teleperformance doing that job, um, then Facebook needs, you know, or, or other platforms need somebody to do that and there's not a, wealth of, of companies who are big enough and who have the structures in place to start yeah. doing that so you're left with yeah. a kind of situation where you know all we're left with is is the magical ai unicorn moderation system
1: mm. right because part because part of it is, is 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 poor planning and poor predictive powers on on sort of behalf of these on behalf of these companies it feels like because even if it's just down to sort of quite prosaic things which no one seems to have thought of, like. Um, like, lingu- like linguistic barriers and how you can outsource moderation. Um, there was wasn't there some was there some terrible story about these like these um, inciting posts, which which like fell under the radar because the people the people who were doing the moderation couldn't read the script yeah. because they didn't <laughs> they didn't imply. I can't remember which I can't remember what the Um, what the language was but it was it created this this terrible this this terrible situation and it seemed and it seems so and it seems so seems so obvious to say yeah well obviously since since the since the internet has um produced these these connections across cultures across language barriers and across countries nations and states then you can't just have Americans and some people in India which is also a country which has multiple languages saying okay well we're just going to read all of the posts and tweak as necessary i'm i'm so i'm so fascinated by this by this distinction between uh between cleaners and i guess like referees teachers mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yeah. the, kind of the, the the figure of the moderator um, used to be. The next question I was going to ask, you actually st- a bit touched on it, which is about AI and what role you you might foresee AI taking in the future, future of moderation. What's next? What's next for AI and moderation?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, from a platform's perspective, um, AI is like the great hope um, Mark Zuckerberg got up and gave a speech, I think it was in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty, in which he I think it was at Georgetown University, where he essentially indicated that um moderation was moving very quickly towards a place that it would be essentially done by artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um without any clear indication that the the systems or the models were in place to be able to do that. Um that might have changed, I don't know. But there's a huge, huge expectation that, yeah, that, that AI is going to fill the void of mm. of human. And we've seen in recent weeks as tech companies have made huge layoffs, that um, that is the thinking. You know, Google, Facebook all have significantly minimized their trust and safety teams. I read a post by a couple of moderators uh, based in, in California, actually who, you know, who I think there's about 150 of them working for Accenture, um, but, but working at kind of Facebook's HQ. And they were told that essentially their jobs were being completely cut. Um, and s- their, their thinking was that some of them, some of the work could be done out of India, um, which mm. kind of goes back to a point earlier about outsource moderation, you know, being the the sticking plaster and not a good one. And that you know the supposed AI models were ready to kind of mop up the rest. So, no, no one has any sense of whether that's true though. Um, and this speaks to some yeah. of the kind of transparency transparency that's required around um, moderation systems, the the algorithms that make decisions about whether uh, posts stay up or come down, and also the regulation that is kind of bubbling along in the background that is going to mandate mm. this um, as well.
0: Yeah. I feel like whenever I've read some of the stuff about the AI, um, like, yeah, like the sort of promise that, I mean, again, I feel like AI is kind of the new sort of white, what was like the the term for, I guess, like the unicorn that is supposed to solve like everything, everyone's problems now that like no one really knows what the point of crypto is. But with, you know, and and that I I don't want to go like too much into the technical elements of it, but the way in which like I've seen uh, people like talking about AI in terms of moderation and I think like Ben, you sort of hit it in terms of like they don't they're not really specific in like necessarily saying how, um, or like going sort of beyond that like this is just another kind of more complex sort of way of filtering out certain words, but like doesn't really kind of like they, they don't really sort of go beyond that, I think, because there is no real sort of proof that it can kind of go beyond these things. But it almost feels as if, like, on the one hand, it's, like, one attempt to, ha- like, one last-ditch attempt or, or another last-ditch attempt, or rather, to kind of, like, try to solve this problem But as you've mentioned, like, governments and, uh, like, international agencies are sort of, like, bringing much more into light and, much- and caring a lot more about, or at least, like, on the surface, caring more about. On the other hand, it also seems like this way of maintaining a kind, like I, I guess like for big tech companies um, like sort of maintaining their status or maintaining their sort of presence online by, but also trying to like sort of solve this problem of like, well, if the whole internet now kind of revolves around a handful of kind of like, not even websites, but just like these kind of platforms that dominate everything, um, and all type and all forms of discourse, even like from external parts of the web, are all sort of kind of centered around these platforms. You need a way of like managing that. The idea of it sort of being like a kind of free speech, free for all, is kind of just like not practical. Well, it's not functional in like very practical terms. But at the same time, I think like the way in which you sort and and this is very disparate. It, it's it's very separate from conversations about how you minimize harm, right? So what I'm really interested in when they talk about this stuff. They they don't really talk that, or they're not really that convincing in the idea that like, oh, we actually think that this is going to minimize the harm caused by our platforms. What they're sort of saying is that this will kind of be a more efficient use of resources. And I, I guess I just sort of wondered what your thoughts were. And we'll just minimize like, our legal you know, vari-
1: liability. <laughs>
0: well yeah i mean basically basically yeah you put in a much you put in a much better and more succinct way than i have but like there is no sort of like optimistic language or you know or even sort of like any feigning optimism but like no this is actually going to make your time online better and you'll be happier doing it it really just comes down to like well this is sort of like more efficient it saves more money um the people who are interested in it are using it like i think it's very telling but like the first kind of um, uh, where the the first kind of moves that have kind of occurred now that these tech companies have sort of realized that these AI tools might be of use to them is to immediately cut jobs, right? Um, and mm-hmm. I wondered whether like what your thoughts were on where on I guess like the ascension of AI tools as moderating services and how that sort of fixes into like broader logics of um tech platforms. Um, where I guess like there is far less kind of, I guess it just feels like they're not really interested in like, what could the internet kind of look like or what the future of the internet is. It's much more about how do we kind of like maintain power and how do we maintain profits um, using these tools. And it kind of always comes down to like either kind of outsourcing very cheaply or, and I guess in this case, you know, um, the use of like the kind of um, moderation sweatshops for lack of like a better term, or like these moderation warehouses that are better, uh, in developing countries, they are now just going to be reformed into places where people sort of assist the AIs in doing this kind of moderation job on a much wider scale, but for much less money.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're totally right. Is that, is that there is, you know, and, and that kind of speaks against the status of moderators is that you kind of have, you have two types of moderators in many senses. You have um, moderators kind of in inverted quotes because obviously there's a, a huge array of people who would be maybe classed as moderators. But you have people who are kind of promised the status of being a moderator but never get it, and some who are never promised it and never get it. And what I mean by that is that you have, you have people who are kind of brought into platforms, who are excited about working for a tech company and all the benefits that it brings, and And that ability to tell your mate that you work for a platform, um, and you're you're given this idea of you know responsibility and and shaping the future of the internet and keeping the internet safe for you know you know your child or you know your friends and and people who kind of sign up for that job who are very mission driven and who are kind of very moral in that idea. and often you know having spoken to them, you know they're they're either not given that responsibility at all. Or they are minimized within the company and their ideas about how to go about doing that are, are kind of uh, basically, you know, lost amidst the bureaucracy and, and the kind of bullshit that comes, I guess, with being in large kind of companies like like Facebook and TikTok, etc. Um, and I've spoken to them and it's, you know, demoralizing and debilitating. And I think we need to distinguish, you know, between the kind of companies that, that are, are, you know, making it difficult as far as creating a, an environment for speech to to flourish, and the people who, who are going into those companies knowing for well that it's difficult but can't get their ideas through because you know their team is I don't know an eighth the size of like I don't know the iOS button team or something like that. Um, so like they're just not given the kind of resources to do so and then to your point, you have like people who um, who are, are basically yeah sat in dark rooms. Kind of training machine learning models, or who perhaps are working on Mechanical Turk to to shape uh, algorithms that are going to be in the end replacing uh, all the current kind of moderators that we have, and they're the people who who don't know that they are shaping the internet in this way and shaping mm-hmm. speech in this way and and therefore can't you know don't get the status and, and d- don't even get to say that they uh, even tried um and i think that's what's kind of particularly
1: sad about it all i think it's a bit depressing, with the actually, with it? yeah no yeah. it's t- it's totally depressing but you know that's kind of the nature <laughs> no, of doing like a doing, <laughs> doing a show about the internet unfortunately um it'd be really it would be really really nice if we could uh if we could develop this kind of self sort of self delusion and just sort of say here's a nice thing that we found on the internet just like just do a total yeah. hard pivot to videos about like a seal and a dog that are friends, so on. Um that would be really nice. I'd really like we could do that. I'm not I'm not we against that. could do it. that. If anyone's got a video <laughs> of a seal and a dog that are friends, then you just you just shoot that shit my way, baby. I don't want to see any more any more things. That's all I want to see. Um <laughs> I saw a nice video you today of an, of an owl in Central Park. It was really good. Really nice big fat owl. Yeah
2: lovely yeah. classic,
1: classic why don't, why don't classic
2: you internet. why do you get a seal and a dog and like take the video yourselves
1: you know what mm. that's a really good idea that's a really good idea. be the be the author of your own destiny create exactly. a platform that you that you want to that you want to see um yeah okay so if um any of the listeners know where i can get a seal i can i can probably get a dog that's, <laughs> that's not hard but if anyone's got a seal guy then um <laughs> Then drop yeah. me a little message, usual, usual, usual address, and, um, someone, um, um, and, there'll and, and be and someone will we'll talk. There'll be, there'll someone, be someone who in South can London. get me a Someone seal. in South London can Surely. do it.
0: Like, get yeah. me a seal
1: out of the back of a van. Okay, great. You found um, weirder things.
2: But you don't wanna you don't think, wanna have it forever. You just wanna borrow it, right? Just to be clear to the listeners.
1: Um, I don't know. i I quite, okay. I, I would quite like to have one
2: <laughs> just <laughs> in general. TV on the uh, status of the seal long term yeah
1: like I might not give it back if you bor- if you lend me a seal then I cannot promise that I will give it back <laughs> so that's so that's up to you depends depends how how strong your parasocial connection is to me you why would you want why would you want to deprive me of a seal what the fuck what the fuck <laughs> I sit here making content for you and you won't even give me a seal unbelievable I was going to say something before I <laughs> I, um before i uh made my made my request for a seal no i remember what i was gonna say i think that yeah i think what you what you said is very is very much correct that um that there's this kind of you know, the grand statements about shaping what um platform mediated digital speech looks like and then the people who are at the sharp end of it have absolutely no stake in that and sort of don't and aren't really expected to have any stake in it just like the people who were making the posts aren't expected to have any stake in it which I think is part of the part of the reason behind the kind of the anarchic nature because it doesn't matter you're not getting paid for it you're not changing anyone's mind you're not um you're 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 not involved in these in these um sort of self-made <laughs> and self-sustaining communities like uh, like you once were but I think a lot of it as well um a lot of the stuff where oh well there's gonna be there's gonna be AI and the AI is gonna magically find all of the horrible posts and it's just gonna get rid of them and it's gonna expunge all of that and it's gonna leave behind a lovely new clean internet. There's gonna be two internets, one which is nice and has seals and the other one which has the which has the beheading videos and the animal abuse and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was Nadine Dory's is-
0: idea, right?
1: She you wanted know, to do, yeah, that. yeah. The two internets. No, it was trust as well. It was I'll just like, yeah, area. can we not? Can we not <laughs> just have like two internets, like one for free, one for free speech, and one for children? It's like, okay, fine. That that's a brilliant idea, and not at all an idea for children. So, ironically enough, that's not an idea for children. But I think that with it, the, with the, particularly with the stuff about AI, because. They very much avoid going into detail. They very much avoid going into the kind of, okay, so what does this look like at scale, at scale? What does this mean practically? Are you saying that you have little robots that you can turn on and you just send them in and they clean up the internet and then back out they come? Because obviously, as with any um, any digital infrastructure any digital architecture, people need to maintain it. People need to write it. People need to look after it. People need to input input the algorithmic information that enables the AI to make decisions. Um, Machine learning is not magic. It has to be taught. (laughs) Um, Again, it seems so prosaic and obvious, but it does weirdly get left out of the conversation. And I think a lot of this is that, is part of the flashbang PT Barnum we have access to the dark magics um that silicon valley has been has been allowed to do over the last 15 20 years uh and with very little um with very little pushback very little interrogation and it seem it feels like it feels like a very similar situation to um To the uh, Cambridge Analytica voting prediction stuff because obviously it makes sense for even if it's going to cause public opprobrium and potentially legal and financial issues it makes sense if you are a tech platform to to say that you have these capacities these magical capacities It, it you weigh you weigh the risk up of people thinking that you're a terrible evil company potentially being um uh, potentially being kind of sanctioned or or or, or censured by um by government or by or by kind of a- agencies which have the capacity to do that but you've still managed to put into people's heads that you are magic and that obscures a lot of the um of the rigorous and proven work of say Professional data scientists um, who are using um, who are using infrastructure that exists, and they are building using using that using that infrastructure. And their work is obscured because the Zuckerbergs and the Bezoses and the Musks of this world want people to think that they are wizards.
2: Hmm. You're right. And like it, the book that really brought this home to me was a book by a guy called Phil Jones, who called Work With yeah. the Worker. I don't know if you guys have, have come across it, but basically he have kind been. of it, it's fascinating. He he kind of situates content moderation. It's not about content moderation per se, but he he talks about content moderators within the kind of realm of like click workers, um, people who are uh tagging photos and who are dropping pins on maps to improve services and you know identifying faces in videos to to improve like models that detect uh, different objects and people and and you know this idea that there is a like whole kind of under kind of a, a, a kind of underground uh, movement of people who again don't know what their their kind of work is is being used for but yeah, it's essentially being packaged up and dressed and put a bow on by massive companies, um, often you know in the states and in China, and made to to seem like you know this has been something that they kind of have come up from their head, and they they've mm. they they've built it on the back of a bunch of people who are paid sometimes as little as two dollars an hour if you're Daniel Moting and you know and you're based in Kenya, and you know where you have no digital rights and. You know no ability to to go to the bathroom or to see a psychologist if you watch beheadings of of you know people or dogs or seals or whatever it is and and that's you know that's that's what's frustrating is that you know platforms are trying to do the right thing, but they are still riding roughshod over people and you know if you ask the general public how you you would like the platforms to behave now, they would say. Very much differently to how they have behaved, and that and that's why that's why countries are having to step in with regulation, um, and and that's why, you know, I think that's going to be the big theme of this year is what mm. what speed bumps are they going are they going to have to overcome to continue the work they've done to make the profits that they have done. Mm.
0: And I imagine that there is probably like a bit I I guess like it sort of alludes back to like Phoebe's point as well, which is at some point, in the same way that like with the crypto stuff. And we like I feel I guess like most people, like most kind of critical people would know that or like would sort of know that it was bullshit very early on. But you know, it's taken like a while for kind of like governments and agencies, and even now, like not even not quite there, to sort of like kind of not buy into the crypto hype. But the AI, like AI sort of seems different, partly because I guess there are sort of like early models that kind of show a certain degree of utility. Um, but with and because of that, it's sort of meant that. Um, tech companies have can sort of say that we can use these AI tools to basically deliver these things that by and large are kind of impossible in terms of achieving like the sort of regulatory standards that they are promising. And I imagine, I, I, I guess like the question that I have is like, I wonder whether they're sort of using the early promises and hype of AI to prevent kind of uh, Uh, governments and international agencies to like regulate or to sort of like impose more laws onto them so they're basically saying that like look these ai tools will eventually be good enough that like we'll be able to drastically reduce like misogynistic violence online or we'll be able to drastically reduce uh racism anti-semitism and so like you don't need to kind of like uh restrict us in terms of like uh how we sort of run our companies and how we run our structures you just sort of need to give us more time I wonder whether you've had any thoughts on that, but also what might happen if and like most likely when these AI tools don't deliver on those promises and if anything possibly make um, systems of regulation online a lot worse or just much harder to do.
2: So I, I think that actually kind of algorithms and, you know, powered by by AI and machine learning are very much in the headlights of of lawmakers. You know, like it's, it's a part, it's a part of the online safety bill, um, which has very large holes in it, but, you know, it's part of the online safety bill that platforms disclose, um, the algorithm and what, and what signals go into the algorithm as far as distributing content goes and, you know, um, you know, demonstrating, that actually that they have thought about what goes into that and and that they can audit that in a in a way that is independent from you know their own engineers basically. In the US, they last year there was an act called the Algorithmic Accountability Act, which you know has not been passed but is requiring companies to assess the impact of algorithms and you know again forces companies to share what What is the special source that goes into these algorithms, and like can you can you show us can you um, kind of you know unpack this black box that currently exists and allows you know consumers to make choices about um, which parts of it they want to utilize in their experience and so i think I think that people have realized by virtue of like lots of good work in the civil society and NGO space that that is an essential part of how platforms get regulated and how we improve um the the kind of safety of of end users and and that's not going to be easy because lawmakers generally Mm. don't have scooby-doo um what an algorithm is or how it even works even (laughs) less so than me um but you know it's a start um and and that's you know that's a good thing and and i hope hopefully that that bears fruit
1: Mm.
0: better than nothing um (laughs) <laughs> i'm just conscious about the time phoebe do you want to ask one last question and we can wrap it up or uh um
1: mm, it, it's one of the it's one of those subjects that we could technically talk about for several yeah. hours so if he's saying if you want to do the last question and then we'll and then we'll wrap up okay cool
0: okay so i'm conscious about uh the time uh and unfortunately that this will be a tight one although that being said it does mean that uh, ben we can have you back on hopefully in the near future um but i was also just going to ask you very briefly also about uh kind of in relation to comment sections also about like anonymity as well and I know again this could be something that we could unpack for a while so you don't need to sort of be concise about it but you've written, you've kind of like posted and also written a lot about anonymity and uh kind of how uh certain sort of understandings of kind of moderation now especially from like lawmakers is sort of targeting anonymity pseudo-anonymity and so on um and uh you posted something quite recently about how Uh, the Times comment section, uh, uh, if I'm correct, like they require you to sort of use your full name, or at least like use kind of some of your real name. And that has reduced kind of certain amounts of abuse, at least according to their metrics. But you're not quite convinced that this is sort of like the magic bullet. But that being said, there is some momentum, at least from some lawmakers to kind of really push for this idea that you need kind of like, Valid, valid ID or verification, or to use and expose your real name in order to sort of like participate in these comment sections. I wondered, to just to kind of bring us home, what your thoughts were on that, and I guess like in terms of why you think that that might not be as effective as it is being made out to be.
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I thought the question of anonymity had been dealt with. I thought that like, yeah, we,
0: we,
2: <laughs> I thought like twenty years plus into the internet, we'd we'd kind of, the one thing that we managed to do was decide that anonymity was not the silver bullet. And it seems like that isn't the case, um, which yeah. is kind of mad for me. But yes, basically to add to kind of what you've said, the times where I used to work um, has recently changed its comment policy. And so, you know, supposedly 80% of, of commenters now use their real name. i um, not sure what it means by that. Not sure how they're checking that. Mm. Um, mm. And yeah, the number of comments that broke its guidelines has decreased by 40% in the month after banning pseudonyms. So, mm. so I think that's an interesting as a headline, but what it doesn't go into is how many comments that they've received overall. My guess is that that has completely fallen off a cliff. You know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or anybody who, you know, requires an, an element of um, kind of privacy and um, when they're when they're mm. interacting online now has no ability to do so. They have no chance to do so, which I think reduces mm. the quality of the debate. It, it makes people kind of fearful of of wading in, and also we don't know how many how many actual users have stopped commenting. Um, so again, mm. like in the past, that would have been maybe five percent, one in twenty people comment. Uh, again, I'm expecting that to have dropped quite significantly because you know you know the fear of of Somebody piecing together your real name with your identity on the internet at large is very, very high, mm. and so I think they've kind of cut their nose off despite their face a little bit here. Um, you know, I, I had conversations about making anonymity, uh, you know, banned when I was there, and I fought back against it because naturally, it's it's something that kind of people who have power who are not marginalised want to do. They they see it as the mm. answer. If you're somebody who, um, you know, is of color or, you know, you, you don't want to be necessarily putting your head above the parapet in in lots of cases. And so oh. it, it it takes away agency from those people. And and that's really frustrating, actually, that we still haven't kind of resolved this question of, of whether anonymity is, is going to solve everything. You know, if you think about how platforms, again, might do this um, or, or have, you know, try to do this. Facebook for a long time had a lot of people who had their real names. Um, you know, it's kind of standard for people to sign up with, with their first and second name. Did it, make, did it make some Facebook groups any nicer? No. Um, mm-hmm. it's, definitely not a, it's definitely not a kind of cause for, for the debate and discussion to be more interesting or civil. So I just don't know how we got here, to be honest. Um, and but I can see it increasing in popularity as an idea. You know, it's basically going to be kind of politicians thinking that this is the right way forward, and people lobbying those folks to 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 get to a place where actually only a, f- a few people can be heard, and that's the way really? they like it because they're the folks in power, and uh, any kind of discord or, or ideas to the contrary are, are not often very well received. So, and I, I'm talking about that from a journalism point of view as, as well as yeah. anything sure. else.
1: They want to um, uninvent the comment section. That's what they want to do <laughs> functionally.
2: <laughs> they'd like to go back to a newspaper. Um, yeah. you, you never had any issues with uh, with comments when there was a, a a physical product that that people had. So it's frustrating. Um, and again, you know this, the kind of structured nature of the contributions in news means that there's never there's never going to be, i think, a i think that's why news partly one newspapers news outlets publishers are are becoming more irrelevant um mm. why, why would you want to dance to somebody else's tune all of the time um so i don't know if i answered your question there Hussein, but that's
0: yeah no i mean like again this is like one of those subjects and i really hope that like you'd be up for coming uh coming on again to like talk about that some more um, especially because I think that like especially around about that, that's uh, like and like the idea of anonymity and again like I was thinking about how I thought that this was sort of resolved or at least kind of it had been resolved again during the Leveson inquiry and so it's very interesting that like these kind of keep coming back as sort of the technology that might be able to achieve it becomes more realized it's the idea that okay well we have to kind of keep relitigating it and it kind of keeps becoming much harder and harder to do um, but I think that could be like saved for a much longer discussion and a uh, and one where we can sort of incorporate more of the research that you've done. I'm conscious that we all have to go because it is an evening record. We don't do that very often, but we do want to say, Ben, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, we'll put all the links to uh, your newsletter in your show notes, but is there anything else you'd like to plug before we uh, close out?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm on Twitter. I'm, all, I'm on all the well-moderated platforms and some badly moderated ones as well. Um, <laughs> just to say that like, there's an awful lot of really, really smart research and academia that, um, I've learned a lot from, um, you know, the likes of Kate Clonick and Gillian York and Evelyn Dweck mm. and, you know, a lot of them are women and, and, uh, people of color actually, and actually, that's important for me to recognize. I think that, um, sure. I'm, I'm doing a lot of reading and curating from there from them and, and you should go follow them directly.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, And if you have any recommendations for things that people should read, if they want to like learn more about it, let me know and I can put that in our show notes as well. Um, And again, thank you so much for listening uh, to our uh, listeners who thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Uh, We really appreciate your support and uh, both in listening and in terms of subscribing. If you don't remember patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast, five bucks a month. And it really helps us to sort of run the show and make sure that we do it to the best we can. And it's really nice to sort of have a community around that. Um, Phoebe, do you want to plug anything before we jump jump out?
1: Yes. Um, subscribe to my Substack, which is at the moment a very denuded Substack because I've been ill and very busy. But there will be some stuff coming out soon. Um, that's phoeberoy.substack.com, and also why not come and see um, Masters of Our Domain live on the twenty eighth of February at Vauxhall Comedy Club where me and Milo and a special guest will be talking about the B-movie. Oh, and listen to Masters of Our Domain if you don't. Why not? Yeah, do why not add do another? That. Why not add another podcast to your, to your life? You can never have too many podcasts. Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, don't do, do that. Um, this show is produced by Devon. Follow them at Devon underscore on Earth. Also listen to Kill James Bond if you don't already. Um, I think that's it from us. So uh, we'll close out. And until next time, we'll catch you later. Have a good one. Bye.
2: Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.